Amen. Would you remain standing as we come to God's word now in our service? We'll hear from the book of Joshua, chapter 5, and that's on page 181 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. This is Joshua, chapter 5, starting in verse 13. The specific preaching passage will go through the end of chapter 5, but I'll go past that a little for some context uh, into chapter 6 up through verse 7. Let's hear God's word for us this morning. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. The people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the, co- of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. This is God's word. Amen. Let's be seated. Thank you so much, Pastor Eric. Uh, Go ahead and keep your Bibles open as we come to this next in our series in the book of Joshua that we've called The Four Forgotten Truths About God's People from uh, the book of Joshua. Now you may uh, be asking yourself, why, why are we studying this book in the Old Testament? And, uh, you know, aren't we New Testament Christians that we only study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the, and the letters? Why, why this book called Joshua a long time ago? Isn't, is this just of antiquarian um, historic interest or something? But you see, what you have to understand is that the, the Bible of the New Testament Christians, the Scriptures, or the Old Testament. And it's from the scriptures they preached Christ. And so we turn to the Old Testament and from, from the scriptures uh, we're led uh, to Christ uh, from the Old Testament. And uh, we've called this series in the book of Joshua the four forgotten truths about the book of Joshua because the book of Joshua is, I think, designed specifically to remind us what it really means to be um, one of God's people, what it really means to follow God, what it really means to worship God. 
See, soon after this great leader, Joshua, had died, uh, the book that follows it in, uh, in our Bibles, the book of Judges, tells us that there grew up after Joshua a, a generation that uh, neither knew the Lord nor the things that God had done. They, they forgot how faithful God had been. And the book of Joshua, as we'll see next week when we come to the last of these four forgotten truths, the book of Joshua concludes with a call to remember his faithfulness. And so that's the, the big sort of theme uh, through uh, this series. And we've already seen these four forgotten truths. We've already seen two of them. The first is that we're on a mission as God's people. We have a purpose. We're not just a holy huddle. Uh, we, we have a purpose to live for Jesus. We have a purpose to tell people about Jesus. Just like in the book of Acts, Jesus uh, tells his followers. He calls us to follow him, and then he commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations. So similarly, the parallel book in the Old Testament, the book of Acts, the great captain Joshua, God's people follow their leader into the land. And we, as we saw in the first of these four forgotten truths, are on a mission. And then we saw last week that we have to take a risk. Uh, we looked at the story of Rahab, this prostitute, who because of God's grace and mercy was saved. She put her trust in God, and she was rescued. And that's, that's a risky story. And yet, of course, what it means is that anyone here, whatever you've done, whatever you've seen, whether you've been involved in any adulterous relationship, whether it's lust of the mind or the heart, that there's a God of love for you, and you need to only take the risk of faith, that is commitment to him. And we looked at that last week. And we so easily forget that. We think that religion's just, uh, that, 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 that Christianity is just, that God is only interested in rules and religion and ceremony. But no, Rahab, the prostitute, she in the Bible is a hero of faith. And so we looked at that last week. It's a risky story, story of faith. Because of God's great mercy through the cross and the, the scarlet cord that runs throughout the Bible of the blood of Jesus. Well, that was the, uh, the forgotten truth we looked at last week. This week, uh, we're looking at the third of these four forgotten truths from the book of Joshua. And this week, we're looking at the truth that we are in a battle. Now, you who come here regularly will know that I have an English accent and I say my T's differently for Americans so I think battle might be correct just in case you, uh, you, you didn't understand I probably didn't say it right I, even then I, my, my children tease me about what a terrible American accent I have so please forgive me it's awful we are in a battle we're in a war we're in a fight but this story is so remarkable because what it is teaching us is so often we think it's a different kind of battle than it really is. Yeah, we're in a, we're in a war, and it was, as Phil already prayed for us, we live in contentious times. We live in times where there are conflict between different religions, where there's conflict between different races, where there's conflict between different socioeconomic classes between different countries. We live in contentious times. But what's the real battle? Well, here we're going to discover. 
And in this story that is one of the great stories in the Bible, we discover what the real battle is by means of two questions. So if you're taking notes, we're in a battle, and then we're going to look at two questions that will show what the real battle is. And the first question is the wrong question. And the second question is the right question. The wrong question, then the right question. So first of all, the wrong question. And this is verses 13 uh, to 14. And there uh, Joshua, uh, we're told, was by Jericho. So he's on the outskirts of the city. This is the first city that they're going to conquer in, in the land. And uh, he, he, he's there. They've crossed the Jordan. So here's the backstory. They, they've crossed the Jordan. Uh, they've had this great covenant of circumcision. The covenant that they are God's people has been renewed. Uh, then they've had the Passover to celebrate uh, what God did in rescuing them from Egypt. The first Passover in the promised land. And the special manner that God had provided for them in the desert ceases because now they're in the promised land and they don't need this miraculous provision anymore. And now all this, if you like, church has happened. You know, the the, the baptism, the communion. And now Joshua is on his own. And he's looking out over this city, this great city with high walls. And he's by Jericho. And he has an amazing encounter. You know, if you're looking for an encounter with God, it's important to recognize here how the preparation for that encounter came through the standard means and ordinances that God determined. Passover, circumcision, baptism, the Lord's Supper, coming to church. Then Joshua met met God, had a divine encounter. He's been set up as a, a sort of second Moses. In the story you see in the Bible, uh, Moses uh, was uh, called by God to lead God's people from uh, Egypt, of course, and there's the original Passover where God passed over the people of God because the blood was daubed on the doorsteps. So their sacrifice for their sins was paid for. And he passed over the wrath of God, did not judge them, but those who were separate were sheltered under the blood of the Lamb, fulfilled in the Lamb of God and Jesus. They were rescued that first and then that first Passover. And then they crossed. Uh, the Red Sea, and now Joshua, a second Moses. It's a mirror image. First, they go over the uh, Jordan, and then they have a Passover. And now he's going to have an encounter, a mirror image, just like Moses had a divine encounter with God at the burning bush. Now Joshua is going to have a divine encounter. And he's by Jericho. But what is he doing? He appears to be looking down. For a told, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. 
So he, beforehand, he's looking down. Perhaps he's uh, first looked over the city and he's been overwhelmed by the scale of the city and he's, he, he, he cannot consider and understand how he is going to lead people to this great victory that God has told him to do. And you know when you look over a problem, you look at it for a while and then after a little bit you just look down. How am I going to do this? Perhaps he's overwhelmed with responsibilities. Maybe you're overwhelmed with your responsibilities, your work, your family, your children, your grandchildren, your studies. How are you going to do it? And you look down. Or maybe he's looking down in prayer. He's praying earnestly, Lord help me. At any rate, whatever reason he was looking down, he now looks up. And as he looks up, there's a surprise. Behold, it's a surprise. Oh, a man. A man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. This, of course, is a military act of aggression. The sword is drawn. It would be like today a soldier taking off the machine gun from the strap on his back and putting it in his arms and the finger on the trigger. Joshua sees this soldier standing there with the machine gun and his finger on the trigger with the sword drawn. And Joshua, being a great leader, knows that he has responsibility. He must, he's in a moment of military conquest. He must discover what's going on. He must find out who this person is and what he's doing. And he bravely, we're told, he goes up to him. What a brave thing to do. He goes up to him and he says to him the natural question. Are you for us or for our enemies, for our adversaries? Whose side are you on? That's a natural question. Are you for us or for our enemies? And yet it's the wrong question. Look at the reply. Joshua goes up to him and says, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he, that is the man with the drawn sword, said, No. (laughs) Which side are you on? No. Wrong question. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua asks the wrong question. So often we do, don't we, when we come to God. Are you on my side or their side, God? Whose side are you on? So often we do this in religious circles. Are are you for us or for them? Which tribe are you a part of? Which denomination are you a part of? Which organization are you a part of? Which group are you a part of? Which race do you belong to? Are you for us or for them? Which class are you a part of? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Which side are you on? Wrong question. No. It's so easy, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy for all of us to slip into this wrong question. We we, we want to sort of own God. We, We want to control God. He's for our group. Not the God of the universe. 
He's on our side. He's for us. We're at the center, not, not God. It's so easy for all of us to do that, I, I find. You know, when, when I was uh, first sort of getting going as a Christian, there was an organization that was training me and discipling me. It's a very, very good organization, all sorts of ways. But like every group, it had its quirks, its unusual sort of cultural uh, ways of behaving, and, and most of them were benign. What, what, uh, one of the quirks of sort of this particular culture that I was a part of was they, they, they had jokes that, that they would make about various things. They were kind of in-jokes that if, you, know, you knew if you were part of the group what the, the, the joke was coming. And in this particular organization that I was a part of when I was very young, uh, they, you know, typically for British, they had a joke about tea. I mean, it's so stereotypical, isn't it? You couldn't imagine anything else. And uh, you may know that uh, in Britain there's a sort of division about tea, whether you put the milk in first or second. It always amuses me when I uh, order tea in a restaurant here and they say, would you like lemon with it? And I think, no, why why, why do I want lemon? You know, milk, please. They look very surprised. But anyway, um, but some people like it in first, some people like it in second. And so this particular organization developed a joke about it, a Christian organization. You, You may know that in theological circles, there's a sort of controversy as to whether the divine decrees of God took place before the fall or after the fall. And, you know, and, and, and there's a phrase for that, which is, are you a pre- or post-lapsarian? And so in this Christian organization, as you were sitting around and tea was being served, uh, someone would come up to you with a sort of knowing look in their face and a little twinkle in their eye and say, are you a pre- or post-lactarian? <laughs> That's fine, you know? Sort of theological nerd humor for British people. But they had other little jokes that, I guess, I mean, I, I, wrong question. I mean, so for instance, if you were standing around talking about some new idea or some theological tendency or some church or some Christian group or some Christian leader, at one point or other, if that person was perhaps not maybe on the right page or something like that, someone would say, well... Not quite one of us. One of us. Our group. Our Christianity. Our Jesus. Our God. Not quite one of us. They even had an abbreviation for that. Sometimes they say, not quite one of us. Or even they'd say, not quite what we want. And the abbreviation would be NQWWW. Some idea would come up or other, and someone would be talking about it, and then someone else would, with a little twinkle in their eye, say, <laughs> NQWWW. Not quite what we want. Our God. Our Bible, our Jesus, our club. Whose side are you on? No. Wrong question. 
The disciples asked this wrong question too. There was a person going around doing miracles and they came up to Jesus and said, you know, whose side is he on? Jesus said, right, in one way or another, wrong question. It's not whether, whether God is on our side, it's whether we are on his. Well, that's the wrong question, the wrong approach to God. What is the right question, the right approach to God? Well, let's see how it develops. So uh, the man says, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? You would have presumed that Joshua was commander of the army of the Lord, but apparently not. Here's the first way that he's going to understand the real battle. Joshua isn't the commander of the army of the Lord. Not really. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua, godly, great Joshua, fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. Well, that's, that's, that's beginning to get there, isn't it? You know, we have different body positions for worship. We often stand to sing. We often sit to pray in this particular church culture. I grew up in a church culture where it was very normal to kneel to pray. They had special kneelers on the pews in front and you would kneel down. I don't know whether it was overtly more reverent. In some ways, the kneelers were more comfortable than the pews, frankly. That was one of the reasons, you know. Different body positions. Uh, But I suspect there is no more humble position before God than flat on your face. Have you ever fallen on your face before God in worship? I have. God help. God, you're amazing. Wow. Maybe it's time to do that when you go home. Perhaps then you'll hear from God. I'll see more of his glory. He fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And here comes the right question. And Joshua said to him, do you have the wrong question? Here's the right question. What does my Lord say to his servant? That's a good question. That's the right question. What do, you want to, what do you want to say to me? One of the, uh, the there, there are dangers, I suppose, in every profession, spiritually. Um, and I've only, uh, I've never had a real job. I've only ever been a pastor. So I only theoretically want, know what the dangers are of other professions. You know, not that being a pastor is a profession, but you understand what I mean. Maybe if you're a, 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 a banker, there are dangers related to money. Uh, maybe if you are a professor, there are dangers related to knowledge. Knowledge uh, puffs up, but love, love builds up. Um, there are dangers in it, everywhere you go. There are temptations of various kinds. If you are a preacher, 
And there are various dangers that go with being a preacher spiritually. But one of the dangers of being a preacher is that you never actually listen, really listen, to sermons anymore. You become so used to sort of analyzing whether a sermon is done well or badly, whether it's a good expression of the text or not, or whether it's rhetorically constructed in an appealing way. You become so used to that that you you, you sort of filter out whatever it is that God might be saying. And I, I have therefore developed in my own life a discipline that when I come to church to hear someone else preach, Before I come through the door, I'll ask this question. Lord, what do you have to tell me today? Do you ask that question? Lord, speak to me. Lord, here I am. I'll do whatever you ask. It may be a surprise. It may not be what I've wanted or considered was a possibility. But Lord, if you're in this place, speak to me. Here I am, Lord. What do you want? That's the right question, isn't it? We come to the Bible. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your law. Lord, Lord, speak to me. What does my Lord say to his servant? The right question. Look what happens then. And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. Now, we don't wear sandals usually anymore. Um, And if we do wear sandals, we probably don't wear socks with them, as some people used to in the 1970s, I think. Maybe you do. It's wonderful if you do. But we don't normally wear sandals, certainly not in the winter in Chicago, I would guess. And our expression in Western culture is not normally to take off our shoes to express reverence. If if we were in the 1950s, the way you would express reverence as a man would be to take off your hat. You wouldn't wear your hat in church, you'd take off your hat if you were a man. It's a sign of reverence. For the ground uh, is holy. The person that Joshua is encountering is so holy that emanating out from where he stands, the ground itself becomes holy. Spreading out from his feet is holiness. Holiness in the Bible means being set apart for God. Where he stands, spreading out in concentric rings, is holiness set apart. And Joshua, having asked the right question, He does what he is told, and he did so. The right question. I wonder what question it is that you are asking this morning. The wrong question or the right question? 
Whose side are they on? Is this my group or someone else's group? Or are you coming saying, Lord, will you speak to me? Lord, will you show yourself to me? Lord, will you help me? Lord, will you have mercy on me? Like the blind man who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Not like the Pharisees who came to Jesus with all sorts of wrong questions, trick questions. I wonder what he thinks about this, this coin. With, is he going to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Or what's the right response? I wonder what he's going to say about this issue of marriage and whether you, you know, who's, 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 Husband, will this, who, who, how will this marriage work out in eternity if this person's had several different marriages? There's a question for you, God. R- wrong, wrong question. You know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, Jesus says in reply. Wrong question. No. Or you coming face to the ground. Worship. Lord, speak. Is that how we come to church? See, this is the real battle. The real battle isn't Jericho. God can do whatever he wants with Jericho. He's almighty. Here's the battle right now. Will Joshua bow? before the real commander of the army of the Lord and do what he says. See, this is the battle for how you do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday as a follower of God. The battle, are you bowing before him? Are you submitting to him? Or is he your God, your way? Rather than thee, God. It's just, it's just a remarkable story. I love this story so much. And he, he is Joshua. And he meets this man with the drawn sword. And he worships him. And the worship this man receives does not rebuke. When Paul was worshipped in the New Testament, he says, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I'm just a man just like you. He received the worship. And when he gives instructions to Joshua to how Jericho is to be won in this spiritual way by marching around. They're, they're giving testimony to the, to the work of God, to the word of God. They're, they're showing who they are. They're calling out that these people like Rahab might come to have faith. They're giving them an opportunity. When the instructions are given, the Bible says, the Lord said to Joshua. The Lord being the special word for God and the covenant God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, said, Here's this man who is worshipped 
and is Yahweh. And he appears to Joshua. He appears again in the Bible, you know. This time he came not with a drawn sword. In fact, when one of his followers attempted to cut off the ear of someone who's trying to arrest this man, he said, put away your sword. Do you not know that I could call a, 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 12 do- a dozen legions of armies of angels to rescue me? Put away your sword. He, this man, when he came again, did not come bearing a sword. He came bearing a cross. That you might be saved. You who live in Jericho. The offer of the gospel is still open today. And this commander of the army of the Lord one day will come again. The book of Revelation describes him as the commander of the army of the Lord, and he will ride, it says, on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, the word of God, with which he will judge the nations on that last and terrible day. And on his thigh is written this commander of the army of the Lord, on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Commander of the army of the Lord. See, Joshua met Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ. Joshua, the Greek for Joshua, is Jesus. Joshua met the real Joshua. And you can too. By his spirit. If you come the right way. And you ask the right question. Oh Lord God we do pray that this morning we would indeed meet with you. We thank you that you are here by your spirit. And Lord we do bow before you in adoration and reverence and worship. We ask, Lord, for your forgiveness that so often we wish to control you, to have you for our group rather than the other group. We pray instead this morning that we would come with the right approach, the right question with all the zeal for true doctrine and right orthodoxy that that the Bible urges us to have Lord let us keep that for sure but not in the way that seeks to control you or put you in a box or define you by our definitions but to leave us us this morning so awestruck that we worship.
And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.